0: Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. If you're new to Victory this morning, I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in. It's so good to have you. We're honored that you would join us today. I would ask you to please take a moment and go by the guest services table at the conclusion of the service and fill a connection card out. We'd love to meet you there and have uh, answer any questions you may have and give you a gift for being here just to say thank you. Uh, but we're honored that you've chosen to be with us today. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to get back into our series on the Sermon on the Mount, in particular, our, kind of our sub-series on the Beatitudes this morning. Um, and as we begin here, we'll, we'll focus on verse 5 this morning, uh, but we'll read the first 12 verses as we get started. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. As we continue this series on the Sermon on the Mount uh, and the Beatitudes this morning, we'll focus on the power of a submitted life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time together, for, for your blessing, Lord, for the promise that when we gather together in your name, Lord Jesus, you meet with us. Lord, we need you today. I pray that you would help me to convey what you've given, and uh, Lord, help us to receive it. May it impact our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. As so we look here at uh, at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, come down off of the mount, tempted of the devil in, in chapter 4 of Matthew then he begins to assemble the disciples. He's called uh, some of them at this point, and they, they get there and they ha, he gets them set. So, this is an opportunity where Jesus is out and he is, he is uh, getting things in order, and a large crowd is now assembled here on the side of the mountain. And so, as he's here, this sermon entitles all three chapters of five, or 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And so uh, as we look here at the Beatitudes, he's beginning in his opening words, laying out, this is my agenda for my earthly ministry. So when we look at the Sermon of the Mount and its greater context, what we're seeing is the Lord Jesus saying, This is what I'm here for and this is how I'm going to go about it and this is what you should be becoming uh, as you find me and as you come to me and as I begin to transform your life. And so uh, as he gives this to us, he's laying the foundation for the coming kingdom and for his ministry. We've seen that each attitude teaches a life principle uh, that should be present in the lives of victorious Christians. So if I'm a Christian that's experienced and I'm walking in victory, I've got uh, power, I've got control over my, myself, I'm, I'm with the Lord's help, I am, uh, you know, have our sin under control. Whenever we sin, we confess it, we forsake it, we try to get that right with God, we not allow things to stay between us and the Lord for long periods of time, uh, and it's convicting to us and we're broken about that. When I'm in that mode, the, the, these principles will be in my life. And so if I'm a Christian this morning that's struggling as we go through these beatitudes and these attitudes, if you will, uh, I should be able to identify some things in my life that are lacking that if I will allow the Lord to help me correct them, will help me to walk more victoriously in my life and to overcome uh, the sinful habits and and, and the the problems that I have uh, in life. Uh, And so these principles will be present. We started in verse number three with the principle of being poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit doesn't mean that I walk around uh, dejected, without joy, without happiness. It doesn't mean that I walk around uh, feeling as if I'll I'll never, uh, you know, get on the victory side of things or have, uh, you know, a better outlook on life. But it does mean that I come to a place where I understand that my need is for God. You know, the great battle in communicating to someone the gospel, the great battle in communicating to uh, seasoned and settled Christians uh, biblical truths that, that spur them to continue to grow even after they've been saved for decades is the realization that we need God. Say pastor Christians that have, been, that have been saved for decades, that they understand that they need God. Intuitively, they understand that and will acknowledge that. But practically in their lives, they don't live that way. Uh, and so uh, it, we, we become so conditioned and so, you know, self-sustaining uh, that it becomes our habits of life. And then our habits of life, we, we stop depending on the Lord because we've just become disciplined. Uh, and then we trust in self. We don't realize it, but that's the practical truth of what's taking place in our life. So to come to the place where I recognize that I am in need of God, no matter if everything is going wonderful, you know, isn't it a tragedy that we have to go through very deep, hurtful, problematic things to come to be reminded that we need God? Uh, that, you know, you have to lose your job or lose a loved one or, uh, or come under attack or have some other kind of problem that comes up that causes me to folk, man, I really need God. The truth of the matter is, is that when everything is going great, we need God. Amen. And so we have to stay focused and to be poor in spirit is to be mindful every moment of every day that I need the Lord. That I need him to be walking with me, that I need him to sustain me in his strength, that I need his power uh, to carry me through and to help me. What I gain in life and what I, uh, what I achieve in life is not really what I've done, it's what God has permitted me to do or has done through me. Amen. To be poor in spirit. Then we saw in verse number four that blessed are they that, that mourn. Uh, and say, well, Pastor, who wants to go around mourning all the time? Mourning is not going around, what he's saying here is not that you're supposed to go around in a state of perpetual mourning and sorrow. What it means is that we have a broken spirit, a brokenness about our spirit. Uh, and so it, what that translates to is this. It means that I come to a place where uh, where, uh, when I sin against God, it grieves me. Far too many of us as Christians have gotten to the place where when we sin. We just dismiss it. Oh, we may say the prayer, God forgive me, but we really don't feel in our heart that we've done anything terribly wrong because after all, we have an excuse. And the only place that an excuse works is in our own mind because God doesn't accept excuses. God gives forgiveness, but he doesn't, take excuse, doesn't accept excuses. Uh, and so uh, we, we have been conditioned to think intuitively that if we have an excuse, then it's okay. But it's not okay. What God has given, if I have, if we rationalize things away to minimize its impact on our life, and we have robbed from ourselves the ability to be convicted by the Spirit of God. To be mournful is to be broken. It is to be in a state where when I'm wrong, I can be convicted, and when I'm lost, I can be led, uh, and I can become what God wants me to be. It is that mentality of God, I need you, and when I wrong you, it hurts me that I've hurt you. Uh, and so, uh, blessed are those that mourn. Uh, why? Because they shall be comforted. You'll find forgiveness and you'll find strength and you'll find power. Then this morning we see uh, the, the next principle or next attitude here. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So what does that mean? To be meek is simply, simply put, and I'm going to define these things and break them down for you in just a moment. But to just put it in a, in a nutshell... It means that I'm submitted. We don't like that word. That word makes us kind of bow up inside. You want me as an adult to submit? Well, that's what it means. And so Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, think of submission this way uh we i gave the illustration a couple of weeks ago about breaking a horse about taking a horse that is uh that is either brand new never been ridden or even a, a wild mustang that's captured in the wild and is brought in and is broken to ride and you you have to break the will of that animal without breaking its spirit well what happens in that moment is that that the minute that that animal gives in it's rideable it's it becomes useful it becomes valuable but it's because it's broken. Does that mean that it's broken? In other words, it's, it's broken in the sense that it can't be used and that it's fixed. No. Its will is broken. It submits to its rider. It submits to its master. Uh, and so there has to be that brokenness. And what he's conveying here is blessed are the meek because we've been broken and that broken has now led to our submission. So you see the step down here, or the continuation of, uh, of the thought and the principle into life. The story I've recounted of uh, a moment at the end of the Civil War, and toward the end of the Civil War, where uh, as General Sherman was making his famous march of destruction through the South, uh, that he set off a detachment uh, to go through Georgia and the Carolinas and uh, changes in commanders had to be made. And he took a general by the name of General Howard and he replaced the general with him. And General Howard took command uh, and did what he was ordered to do and did it well. Uh, and General Sherman led, of course, his march. And, uh, and not long after that, the war came to a close. Well at the close of the war they are all summoned back to Washington and there's a big parade and review and a lot of honor being bestowed upon uh, the, the armies and the leaders of those that uh, that led and brought the war to its conclusion. And General Sherman sent for General Howard the night before this big parade was to take place and they were to be honored. And he said General Howard, General Howard was sent for him, he came and General Howard walked into General Sherman's office or quarters and said that he's here and reported and general sherman said i i need a favor from you uh i need you to do something for me and he said it's my command uh and then general sherman continued to say that there are political powers here that are determined that the man that you succeeded uh but as you led your charge through georgia and the carolinas uh that they want him to write at the head of your army and the man general howard protested he just said but it's my army. It's my rightful place. That honor, essentially, what he's saying is mine. And General Sherman looked at him. He said, that's true. He said, but you're a Christian and you can handle the disappointment. General Howard said, since you put it that way, there's only one answer. Let him write at the head of the army. When General Sherman saw his humility and his submissiveness, he said, but I want you to report to me at nine o'clock. And I want you to ride with me at the head of the entire army. He protested that. His character was such that he didn't want honor that wasn't his. But General Sherman wouldn't relent. And he rode at the head of the army and was rewarded. Why? Because he was a man of authority and power. But he was a man who was submitted. He didn't have to agree. He didn't have to feel it was right. He didn't complain. He just submitted. What we're talking about here this morning when we talk about meekness is that submissive spirit. Uh, And so when we see what Jesus is committing here and what he's laying out, to be meek by definition is this. And and here's just a brief definition of being meek. Mild of temper. Doesn't mean you don't have a temper. We'll see that in a moment when we get to Moses. But mild of temper. Soft. Gentle. Not easily provoked or irritated. And so, you know, a, a meek man... In a healthy spiritual condition, is not going to be easily irritated. Doesn't mean he can't become irritated. It means he won't be easily irritated. Uh, and so, uh, one who is yielding, one who is given to forbearance under injuries. What does that look like in a practical Christian life? Well, we see some examples of that in the book of uh, in the book of Romans. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I just want to make uh, the point so that we can kind of apply it to different areas of our life. But in Romans chapter twelve. In verses 10 and 11, and we could read a lot larger section of scripture here. Uh, for time's sake, I'm not going to do that, but this conveys the idea. Let love be without dissimulation. in verse 9, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Notice in verse 10, be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another. So what do we see here? That a meek Christian is preferring others over themselves. It is, not, to be not slothful in business as the example it gives, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's not that you lay down and you roll over and you play dead. You're fervent in spirit, but you're putting the needs of others first. In Romans chapter 14 and verse number 15, we see it even uh, more clearly. In Romans 14, if you're familiar with that chapter, is really dealing with kind of gray areas, if you will, of, of life and uh, and a tradition versus Uh, The Lord instituting the whole new system of of worship and how to handle that and how to discern uh, what's acceptable to the Lord and what's not uh, based upon Bible principle and not just the tradition of men. Uh, And so he gives the examples of the things that they were dealing with there. But in principle, as he brings it up in verse 15, he says, But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat. And so he's saying, listen, if you're a spiritually mature Christian and you're doing something that is going to become a stumbling block to a less mature Christian, then even though you may have the right to do it, you shouldn't do it because it's going to become a stumbling block for someone else. And the way that he words it here in verse uh, number 15 is this. But if thy brother be grieved at thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably? In other words, if you do something that it becomes that you know is going to be a stumbling block to someone else, you're not walking toward them charitably, or you're not walking before them with Christian love. He says, "Destroy not himself with de- destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died." He's saying, "Listen, if if I know uh, that if I uh, do something that I have the right to do in the liberty of my faith, that is going to be a stumbling block." To bow, and I do it anyway. Especially as someone who is a, a, a pastor, that is a, an ordained minister, that should be the more mature Christian. That's not always the case, by the way, but should be the more mature Christian. I have the greater responsibility to not be a stumbling block to my brother in Christ. If I do that and it causes him to stumble, I'm not walking toward him charitably. I'm not walking meekly before the Lord. I am being a problem, even though what I'm doing is not necessarily wrong or sinful. It becomes wrong because I know that it's being an offense or hurts him. Uh, I hope that makes sense. And I, I'm, I'm trying to pack a lot in here. Uh, but to be meek is to be yielding, to be given to forbearance under injury. In other words, even if doing right or walking charitably towards a brother or sister in Christ causes me personal injury, my responsibility is to them. It's to walk in love toward them, to, to their benefit. It is to make the sacrifice, it is to bear the reproach, it is to uh, absorb uh, whatever's difficult about the situation. It is to be humble. It is to endure injury with patience and without resentment. Now, that's important because we're, we're, if we get to the place in your spiritual life where you grow and you would say, okay, I'm willing, Mike says, I'm willing to bear this thing because if I don't, it's going to cause Jay to stumble. But then you resent him because you had to not do it because it was going to be a problem for him. Then, you, then we're not, we've, we haven't attained meekness yet. You understand what I'm trying to say? to be able to suffer the injury or the disappointment or the loss without resentment makes someone meek. And so I just want us to clearly understand what the word is meaning here. So to to endure injury with patience and without resentment. Humility is simply this. Humility coupled with strength. It takes a lot of strength to endure things and to not be irritated or to not be resentful of them. And so if we submit to God... God supplies the strength. Here's the principle as he lays this out here. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It doesn't mean that I'm going to inherit that thing that is good for me or that I desire right at the moment. It's just down the road. I'm making a sacrifice now. God is an excellent bookkeeper who always pays up in the end. Uh, And so it's am I coming to a place where I stop thinking about myself and my wants and needs and I'm putting the needs and wants of others ahead of me. Uh, doing what's good for the whole. And so T.W. Hunt wrote this, and he said, my experience in learning God's will is that the better I know Him, the deeper and more far-reaching my submission becomes. And so I must be submitted to the Lord and to what God says to submit to. We are to submit to God. Uh, And so we could spend a lot of time uh, on this. I'm just going to point out two or three things uh, we're to submit to God. In James chapter number 4, in verses 6 and 7 he says but he giveth more grace wherefore he saith God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble submit yourselves therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee from you uh, in First Peter chapter 2 uh, he tells us that we're to submit ourselves to our human authority uh, in First Peter chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14 submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king uh, as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by Him, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of Him that, of them that do well. Uh, listen, uh, it's not always easy to submit to laws that we don't agree with or that we don't like, but if they doesn't violate our worship of God and our service to God, then we are bound by God to be obedient to them, to submit to them. Submission is not necessarily an admission of of agreement. It's simply uh, submitting to the structure that God's put in place. That's why Proverbs says that it's terrible when the wicked rule. But it doesn't change the fact that we have an obligation to be obedient. uh, And to uh, do what God says. And he says it's because when we do that then God is elevated and opportunities abound to share the gospel. Uh, And so if we uh, don't go along with things, and I'm not saying about going along with ideas and things that are sinful, not exercising our rights uh, to, to protest at times, but in my protest, I must still obey the law. Uh, and so, in first we're to submit to one another. In other words, put one another ahead of each other. First Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, and verse 16, uh, that ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. Listen, he says, uh, backing up, watch ye stand fast in faith, quit ye like men, be strong, let all thi- your things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren, ye that know the house of Stephanus, that it is of the first fruits of A- Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves into the ministry of the saints that ye submit yourselves unto such and to every one that helpeth us and laboreth. Those that are uh, zealous or that are in the work of God that are out uh, getting their hands dirty and doing the uh, things that basically a lot of people don't want to do. Listen, so submit to one another and submit to them that they be sustained and strengthened that the work of God uh, can be accomplished. To submit. To submit simply means to surrender. To yield one's person to the power of another, to be subject, or to, and to yield without murmuring. Okay, so just to kind of make this clear. If I uh, come in and say to Brother Buck, Brother Buck... Uh, this is something that I would like for you to do, uh, maybe or even teach in your Sunday school class. The Lord's just laid this on my heart. I feel like this will be helpful to your people. And uh, generally, Brother Buck's teaching what he wants to teach when he wants to teach it. Uh, and I come into Brother Buck and I lay this out there and say, this is here. Uh, and he, he knows that he has to, so he doesn't put up a fight. Uh, he just, in his heart, he's not liking it. He's not. And so he, he seemingly submits because he says, all right, Pastor, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. But for the next six or seven weeks that he's teaching it, all he's doing in the background is complaining that I made him do it. He's submitted, but not without murmuring. Therefore, he's not submitted. See, what causes disunity in the church and the body of Christ is when we have the appearance of submission without true submission. It's not necessarily thinking that everything is the best way or agreeing with everything that's done. It's coming to the realization that this is a structure that God's put in place. And if my pastor and the staff and the deacons are following the will of God, I may not understand everything, but I also have to realize I don't always have all the information, nor should I have. Uh, And so I'm gonna trust their walk with God. I may not get it, but this is the way that God's led, then I'm all in. And I'm not complaining about it in the background. Uh, It's submission. And so we don't always like, we don't always agree, but we're always commanded uh, to submit and so, uh, to surrender. I'm surrendering. Doesn't mean that if I have an idea, I don't bring it forth. It doesn't mean that if I uh, have a disagreement that I don't br- make it in, in the right channels, make it, uh, make it known. But once, it, it, once a decision is made, then I get on board and I'm behind it. and so And I'm going to support it. Uh, and so we we see that principle as it's laid out here. What does that bring? It brings unity to the body of Christ. It brings uh, a cohesiveness to God's people as they move forward in the called-out assembly that He's established. Uh, and uh, and we go with one heart and with one mind, with the spirit that is attractive to those that are lost in a bicker. Listen, why would people in a corporate world that are caught up with people that are self-serving and all have to deal with all the infighting and bickering at work want to come to church where it's the same thing under uh, over uh, spiritual matters. It's not a spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ is submit. The spirit of Christ is yield. So we see in scripture really only two men that are ever called meek. I'm not saying that there are only two meek men in the Bible. I'm saying there are only two men in the Bible that God ever identified as meek. And the, the first one is the man Moses. And so as we look this morning at the man Moses, we see someone who God has identified for us as being meek. And so we're going to look at him uh, just for a moment this morning as we try to draw this principle out. In Numbers chapter 12 and verses 1 through 4, he says, and, and here Moses has already been their leader. He's already brought them, God used them to bring them out of Egypt. They're, are, they're in the wilderness wandering. They're undergoing and they're dealing with, <coughs> with problem after problem and with uh, attitude after attitude uh, and they're, they're, they're still trying to get where God wants them to go. And this is still pretty early on here because they, they haven't even been banished to the 40 years of wandering yet. And so, but he's brought them through all this. He's brought them out of Egypt after 430 years of slavery and he's parted the Red Sea and he's, uh, and he's, and he's led them to the brink of entering the promised land. And then he does something that they don't like. And and they rebel. We see here in verse 1, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses, his own brother and sister, who were leading with him, because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath not he spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now that's what they're saying. He does something that they don't agree with. He's the leader. They're also leaders. And they say, hey, wait a minute. God's not, Moses isn't the only one that God's leading through stand them out to, in our practical setting here, if I were to come out and say, listen, this is what God's really led me to do, what I believe God wants us to do, uh, and I and I jump on board, and uh, and and I put it out there, and we get started down the road, and then uh, Brother Mike, and uh, Brother Buck, and, and Brother Lynn, and Brother Phil, and Brother Fred uh, rise up, and, and by the way, generally, I don't ever do anything like that without us hashing out in the deacons meeting first anyway, uh, but if they were to kind of band together and say, hey, wait a minute, Pastor, we're not for this, you're not the only leader that God's put in the church. I know you said this is what God wants us to do, but we, we're three or four weeks into this thing now, and we think it'd be, go, be going better. You're not the only leader here. God uses us too, or Sunday school teachers revolt. Uh, pastor wants me to teach that, but I, this is what God wants me to teach. I, I, I know better than pastor. I know better than what? You may, you may, but if God leads, God leads. What I'm saying here is this idea of The man Moses, as he's confronting this, and we tend to look at this only in the context of the specific issue, but it has a lot broader application here. The problem is principle. The principle is there's a leader, and the other leaders don't like his decision. And because of that, they rationalize why they don't have to accept his decision. And God hears it. So what does God had to say? I'm going to tell you, and we're going to read a couple more verses here, but God does not heap praises upon Aaron and <coughs> Miriam. Now the, man, now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, come out ye three unto the tabernacle, the congregation, and the three came out. So what's taking place here? They make their revolt. God hears it. God says he's my servant and he's meek. You three come here. I would boy, I would hate to be I would hate to have been in that situation. Amen. And you stop and think about that. Hey, you know, Moses is here, does something they don't like, they raise up and God shows up and says, You three, come here. And then he strikes her with leprosy. And there's this a whole big thing, but God makes this point. And Moses in his meekness prays for a sister that she be healed and restored. And God says, she's not getting off that easy. She's going to have to bear this for a period of time. It was a relatively short period of time, but it was a grievous thing to bear. So God makes it known how he feels about it and what his his matter is. So what do we see here? Well, we see a couple of things. We see, first of all, that Moses is a man of strength and authority. God calls him meek. He's a man of strength and authority. He's not a weak man. He's not a man that doesn't have the right to make commands, to make decisions, to lead. He is a man who is strong and he is a man who God has put in control. The second thing we see here is that he is a man who stood for God. He went to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the earth, and he stood against him. By the way, Moses didn't go to Pharaoh ignorantly not knowing who he was going against. In a, in, in their world, he was a step relative of that Pharaoh. He knew him well, he knew him personally. He was a leader in Egypt before he was an in exile in, in the wilderness. For 40 years, he sat at the foot of Pharaoh. For 40 years, he was educated and a leader in Egypt. And then for 40 years, he was on the backside of a desert before he found God in a burning bush. And now the last 40 years of his life, he's gonna lead God's people. And what we see is that God has cultivated him and developed him, and he is a man that understands and has endured hardship. He is a man that understands and has endured uh, uh, blessing and plenty, prosperity. Uh, and he is a man uh, that we see thirdly here, that is surrendered to the call of God. He is a man that God chose. He stood against Pharaoh. He stood against Kor and the others, the gainsayers, and the uh, the, the the problems within, within his own people as he led them. He stood for God and for what was right. And then we see that he surrendered to the call of God in Genesis or in Exodus, excuse me, chapter number three. We see the call of Moses as he's before the burning bush, and it's a struggle. He didn't just jump on the bandwagon because God said, "Hey, I'm chosen." You. It was hard for him to accept. He didn't just say, oh, great, I'm going to be in an authority and I'm going to do this awesome thing and lead the people out. No, he, God, I can't do that. He wasn't a man that was arrogant, but he was a man that was strong. He was a man that was surrendered and yielded. And in, in Exodus chapter 30, or chapter 3, excuse me, in verses 10 through 12, we see he says, Come now, therefore, I, God says, will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And He said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, which I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the people of Egypt, and ye, ye shall serve God on this mountain. Moses, you're going to go get them, and you're going to bring them right back here, and you're going to serve me. What does Moses? What do we see? We see that Moses in his meekness was not a man who could just be run over. He was not a man who didn't have character. He was not a man who couldn't lead. He was not someone that didn't have authority and and wasn't, he's a man that was chosen by God. And he's a man who who was strong in, in authority. And he was a man who stood for the principles of God and what was right. Even to his own detriment and hurt, he stood. What I'm saying this morning is this, is that when we as a Christian are meek, the way that that's going to manifest itself is not that we're going to hunker down and we're just going to be pushovers, it's that we're going to stand up for truth and for righteousness and where we're in a position of authority, maybe as a Sunday school teacher or as a deacon or as, uh, you know, a leader on an outing or, uh, or a discipler with uh, someone that you're trying to teach and train in the scriptures that's maybe a new Christian, that we're going to step up and we're going to do what God's given us to do. We're going to do it with authority. We're going to do it with strength. Uh, and we're going to <coughs> take a stand for what's right, but we're going to be always surrendered to the call of God. We're going to be always surrendered to what God's leading is, what God's direction is. We're going to always have a heart that's in tune with what God's Holy Spirit is directing and how God's guiding through his word. The man Moses, God said, was me. So a pastor of Moses got mad and smote the rock. Yet he wasn't easily irritated. If you put up with half of what most of us, if we had to put up with about a tenth of what Moses had to put up with, would have flown off the handle and been off with our head. I mean, there's times whenever God came and was so fed up with them that he said, Moses, I'm just going to kill them all, and I'm just going to raise up a new people out of you. And, God, and Moses said to God, God, wait a minute. If you do that, then all this stuff in Egypt was for nothing. And all the people in the world are going to just say that, that, that you can't be a God that's trustworthy. And Moses wasn't somebody, I mean, if, if, if it was recorded in the scripture that Moses just said, yeah, God, I think that's a great idea. It'll make life a lot easier, that it would be hard to find fault in his decision. But that wasn't meekness. Meekness was Moses walking charitably towards those he led. I'm going to do what's best for them. I'm going to put their needs ahead of my own. I'm going to, I'm going to. Endure what I have to endure for their sake. So we see that the first man called meek in the scripture is the man Moses. Secondly, in the final man that we see called meek in the scripture is the man Jesus. In Matthew chapter number 11 and verse 28 uh, and 30, uh, Matthew 11, Jesus says this, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You ever get tired of just the burdens of life? We stop fighting and trying to carry it all in our own power. It's not nearly as exhausting. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is an interesting tool because when, you're, when you put two oxen in a yoke, they can't pull whichever way they want to go. You know, if I put a couple of animals in, uh, and, uh, you know, a horse, an ox, and I, and I just put a bridle, a harness on them, but they're not fixed together in some way, Though I'm pushing both of them forward, one's going to try to go this way and one's going to try to go that way and we're really not going to get anywhere. They're they're all trying to move forward, but they're not accomplishing anything. But when you put them in the yoke, the yoke binds them together. So that when they're spurred forward, they, they, they have to stay in step with one another. They can't separate. They're bound to one another by the yoke. And what we need to be this morning, my friends, is a people that aren't all trying to move forward in the gospel at our own way, at our own pace, in our own time. But as an assembled body of believers that we're in the yoke of the gospel together, bound by common goals and common plans and common directives so that we're actually getting somewhere. You know, a lot of times that good people in Churches that are trying to be good churches, that all mean well, they just can't agree, well, I want to do it this way. Now, this is what we're supposed to do, but I want to do it this way, and I want to do it this way, and I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to, that doesn't work for me, I'm going to do it this way. And we're all pulling, we're all trying to go forward, but we're pulling so much against each other that we're not really getting anything done. Get in the yoke with Jesus. Get in the yoke... Of this, the structure that God's put forth, and we can move forward together, Jesus says, "Get in my yoke, Put on my yoke. do it my way." It's amazing how sometimes we, we convince ourselves and we spiritualize things to a way to where we, don't, where we feel okay about it. But the truth of the matter is, is that we're just stubbornly doing what we want to do, and spiritual task, or religious task or biblical task. But we're not really submitted. We're not really in the yoke with the Lord. So what do we see about Jesus? The truth of the matter is, is that we see the exact same things about Jesus that we see about Moses. We see, first of all, that he is a man of strength and authority. Jesus is a man of strength and authority. So pastor, but Jesus is God, I understand. But he's also a man. And he is a man that withstood Satan. And he is a man that took on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He is a man that submitted himself unto his father's will. He is a man that led those that were weak and those that were struggling. He is a man of strength and authority. He is a man who stood for God. He stood against that which was wrong. He stood against that which was was evil. He stood for you and for me. He stood in our stead before his father. He became our sin. The man Jesus is meek. And then, thirdly, this morning, consider this the man or woman, and write your name in the blank. Am I meek? Am I a meek Christian? Am I a Christian who is strong but surrendered? Am I a Christian? that's walking with God? Am I a Christian that's willing to do things God's way, even when I don't understand God's way? See, our problem is, is that something's put out and we think, I you know, see where that's gonna get us where we need to go. Well, you might even be right, and let me tell you this. If, if I, let's say if I come out and I launch some new initiative that we're gonna go through as a church and Brother Mike's thinking in his heart, I don't think this is going to work, and I don't see the sense in that, and I don't understand what you said. But, Pastor, this is what you said. I'm I'm going to behind it. I'm going to support you, and we go forward. Well, let's say a year down the road it proves that actually Brother Mike was right and I was wrong. See, Pastor, Brother Mike get all puffed up and realize, and, and, and no. What a mature Christian is going to realize is that I'm not going to take victory in my heart that, hey, I was right and Pastor was wrong. But I'm also not going to be resentful because I realize the pastor's doing what God led him to do, and he got it wrong on this one. He's a man just like I am. But he submit, he surrendered. He's supporting him. So he, he, is God going to get on him? Because No, because that's the structure that God put forth. God's going to judge me because I made a bad call. God's going to judge him as to whether or not he fulfilled his role or not. You understand what I'm trying to say? Sometimes we get in the mind, and I'm not talking about sinful things or things that are against the scripture. I'm talking about things that are just, you know, we're we're walking, we're doing the best that we can. It's not a matter of proving right and wrong. It's a matter of God's plan and God's structure. And it's amazing how when we get behind that, God just blesses it. So, pastor, but I don't know if you make me understand, I'll get on board. I do my best to help people understand, but not everyone's going to. And by the way, there are a lot of things that we just have to follow the Lord by in faith and trust Him that we will never understand in this life. It's not about understanding; it's about submitting. I want to be submitted to the Lord. I want to be submitted to God's leading. The man in our name, our We, am I, are you a person of strength and authority? So pastor, I've only been saved for a few months. I don't have any authority within the church. Oh, my friend, you have the authority to take the gospel to the lost. You have the authority to help someone see their need of a savior. You have the authority to take the word of God and to share it and his power. If you've been saved for one minute, you have authority to take the gospel. Yeah, I mean. You may not have the, uh, the, the knowledge yet. You may not have the, the teaching and the foundation yet, but you have the position of authority to take the word of God and to share it with anyone that'll listen. It's not a matter of do I have a title. It's a matter of do I realize my, my role and my responsibility as a child of, the, of my father, as, my, as a child of the king. And am I strong in my spiritual walk and faith? It is, am I, and I'm asking the question of myself, and as you ask the question of yourself, am I a person of strength and authority? Second question, am I a person who stands for God? Am I a person that when challenged, am I a person that's going to stand for righteousness? Am I going to stand for God? If they come into your workplace tomorrow and say that uh, that you have to sign off on a bunch of ungodly things, and that you agree with them and you say, I don't agree with it, but I'll teach it, but it's against biblical principle in, in scripture. If they come into Brother Don who teaches math in a public school and they say, Brother Don, uh, you have to teach all of this ex- explicit LBGT. I can't even get all the letters straight. They keep adding to it all the time. And if you don't, then you're fired. Are you going to sacrifice your job and praise the Lord that you could do it for his glory? You see what I'm saying? It's not that we roll over and just embrace all of this corrupt culture in the world. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying stand for righteousness. He said, Pastor, but what about that crowd? Love them, share the gospel with them, pray for them that God will save their soul. They have sin in their life that's just like the sin that I had in my life before God saved me. I'm not saying hate on people and treat them cruelly or unkindly or in any other way, but I'm saying don't call that which is evil good. Don't call that which is unrighteous, righteous. It's, it's, if it's immoral, it's immoral. If God stated that it was immoral, it's still immoral. Whether the culture accepts it and says that it's not, whether they get offended and, uh, and lash out at us because we still stand for the, the basic uh, family, nuclear family unit and uh, the sanctity of marriage and, uh, and, and the, the, the moral morality that's laid out in the scripture, uh, we're going to stand on those things. And if that brings us a lot of bad press and heat, then so be it but we're going to do so with kindness and with compassion and with love. We're not going to demean people or degrade people, but we are going to say what you're doing is sinful and God will forgive you of that sin and he'll save your soul and he'll help you get victory over it. But God made me this way. No, God God made us perfectly in the garden and we sinned and because of that we have a sinful nature and the argument that you made me a boy but put me in a girl's body or you made me this or you made me that the only, there's no difference between someone saying God made me this way and committing that sin is sins of addiction That's right. sin is sin yep. and we sin because of what we want to do yes. God made me that way God, God made us we committed sin we have a sin nature and God gives us victory over that sin if we'll accept it and so, when we look and we see here, I'm just saying this morning, am I going to be a person that stands for God? Am I going to stand for God's strength and strength, but with love and compassion? Be a person that stands for God. Am I surrendered to God's call? Are you this morning surrendered to the call of God? If God burdens your heart, to to engage in in a a different ministry of the church than what you've been involved in before? If God burdens you to reach out to a specific person, if God uh, called you to the mission field, if God called you uh, to be a a pastor or to be uh, an assistant pastor, would you surrender to that call? Am I a submitted Christian? See, if I would be meek and inherit the earth, inherit the blessings of God. Inherit what God has for me to do in his name and for his glory on this earth. If I would in, If I would accomplish or achieve those things, I must be meek. If I'm not meek, I'm not getting anywhere for God. Meekness brings me to a place where I am useful to God. It brings me to a place where I'm not fighting against him but I'm submitted humbly before him. See, meekness is a virtue. The opposite of that is perversion. I'm either virtuous or I'm perverted. I'm either meek or arrogant or weak. See, I can be a person of strength but not submit to God and I just stand up and rise in arrogance. I, I would argue that men that get in pulpits like this every Sunday that stand up and, uh, and all that you hear is lamb blasted is a lot of arrogance. If your response to someone whenever they're rebuked for some sin in their life or by their, their pastor or some other spiritual leader that's just trying to help them and love them, if their response to that is arrogance, they're not showing meekness. I want to be meek. Why? Because Jesus said it's a foundational principle to my kingdom. It's a foundational principle to my ministry. It's a foundational principle to what I want you to become in my name. I want you to understand that you need me. I want you to understand that blessed are the poor in spirit. We need God. Blessed are they that mourn. Our brokenness, which leads to our submission. Blessed are the meek, which is going to lead to a yearning for God. And we'll see that uh, a week after next are yearning for God. Am I yearning for God this morning? Well, if I'm not submitted and I don't see my need, then I'm not going to yearn for him. I'm not going to long for him. I'm not going to desire for him. It starts with understanding that I need. When I understand I have the need, it brings a brokenness. When I understand my brokenness, it causes me to either rise up arrogantly against God or to submit to him. And once I've submitted to him and I sit at his feet, I am yearning and longing for him. And Jesus lays out his plan. The question this morning is simple. Am I submitted to God? Why? Because a submitted life makes a difference. A life that is willing to just say, God, I don't have to understand. I'll just do what you give me to do. In the context of the family, wives and children don't always have to understand what God's given leader of the home decides. Do they have a right to say something or input, especially the wife, of course, Your team. I can guarantee you after 33 years of marriage that my wife hasn't always agreed with some decisions, but most of the time I've taken her thoughts into account. But there have been a couple of times over 33 years where I've just said, this is what we're going to do. This is what I believe God wants us to do, but I don't understand why I don't know how to explain it any more than I already have. You're just going to have to trust me. She's still here, so I guess it hasn't been too terrible. I was gone for ten or eleven days and she actually seemed to miss me while I was gone. That was a blessing. So Miss Hare was gone for eighteen days, and Brother Dick wasn't sure if she was even gonna come home. Uh, I'm just kidding, I've been giving him a hard time while she's been in the Philippines visiting family. I'm happy to see that she actually did come home. So but when we look at our lives, it's just a matter of am I gonna yield myself when it's in a church context. Do I have to always understand what the pastor, what the assistant pastor, what the deacons put out? Well, we ho- I hope that we can communicate in a way that everybody understands and wants to happily get on board. But I'm sure if you're here for, if I'm here for 10 more years, 20 more years, however long God lets me live and be here, uh, and, and you're here all that time, I'm sure that over the course of that time, there are going to be some things that you're going to scratch your head about and think, man, what in the world was he thinking? And a year later, I might scratch my head with you and think, yeah, what was I thinking? But there are going to be sometimes we're going to look and we're going to say, "You know what? God really got in that. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what he was trying to accomplish, but we just got on board with it and we just prayed and we did our part, and God blessed it. Amen. That's the structure that Jesus was laying forth. That's the foundational principles of his life. Am I this morning submitted?" If, I, if I, I'm not the kind of pastor that likes to come to people and say, "You know, Pedro, I really think God wants you to do this with your life. I'm not, gonna, I'm, not, I'm not here to call Pedro to preach. That's not my job. Now, there are a lot of pastors that think that that is their job. But that's not my role. But my role is to support that and develop it if he expresses that's what God's called him to do. I, I'm not that kind of pastor that's going to come to you generally and say, Miss Nadine, you need to go over here and do this. But if there's a need and God puts it in your heart and you come up and I were to come and say, Miss Ann, I really need your help with this. Would you just happily submit? If I came to Brother Buck and said, Brother Buck, I really feel like, like the Lord that your class would benefit greatly from this next six or eight weeks. Would you happily embrace it? Or would you in your heart grumble and murmur and revolt? If I were to come to Brother Don in the bus and say, Brother Don, I want you to take a new tactic in outreach and the way that you approach people and I want you to, would you revolt against that or would you accept it? Would you embrace it? You understand what I'm trying to convey here? There is such emphasis on the unity of the body of Christ and our unity with the Lord and His Spirit and our unity as a husband and a wife and family units. Unity is of paramount importance in the Christian life. And if my heart's aligned with God and our hearts are aligned with Christ and with one another, in the yoke of the gospel, it would be amazing to be a part of something to where we all came together pulling together as one rather than pulling the same directions but all taking a different route to get there. Will we submit? Pastor you about to launch some big new thing? Not really. I think we need to do what we're doing better before we delve off into something bigger. But let's get there. See, what I want is for us to have the God's very best. For us to be aligned with God and his word and his will. And this is the agenda that Jesus set forth for his ministry. I need you, God. I'm broken. I'm submitted. I'm yearning for you. I'm going to give to make it happen. My heart is going to be wholly and completely yours. I'm going to seek reconciliation whenever there's a wrong. I'm going to identify with Christ no matter what it costs me. I am going to let you amplify these traits when I become under attack. That's what the Beatitudes lay out. Those are the attitudes that should define the life of a Christian that is mature with God. Am I submitted this morning? (laughs) Because a submitted life makes a difference.